The date, July 28, 1996. The place, 60 feet beneath the English Channel off the coast of Devon, England. A fisherman was about to haul in his nets. His catch of the day would unearth a gruesome secret. Buried among the sea bass and crabs was a very large catch. A dead man with no apparent identification. The nets had disturbed a watery grave, revealing a mystery that would cross an ocean. When John Kopak, a fisherman of 30 years, pulled a dead body on board, he had a decision to make. A floater is a bad omen. I can do one of two things here. I can pull this cod line and he goes back over the side and we go on fishing. Or we take him in, in which case the fish is going to be condemned. You're going to lose a day's wages. The victim was an unidentified male between the ages of 40 and 50. From the amount of decomposition, the pathologist determined that the body had been in the water for less than a week. The victim was wearing a blue and white checkered shirt, leather belt, and green corduroy trousers with the pockets pulled inside out. When I first examined the body, I noticed a tattoo on the back of the hand. I thought it was a cluster of stars, and that's what I said in my original report. And in any case, I've never seen a tattoo like that, not in British subjects. There were several injuries noted on the body, bruises on his left hip and lower leg, and a four-inch gash on the back of the head. Most likely, the head injury caused unconsciousness, but the actual cause of death was never in question. The lungs are the best organs to look for drowning, and the lungs showed evidence of drowning. So the cause of death was not difficult. But why he got into the water and why he drowned was the difficult part. The only item of note on the victim was an expensive wristwatch, it was a Swiss-made Rolex brand Oyster Perpetual Chronometer, which had stopped on the 22nd of the month. Every Rolex watch has a story. Rolex keeps extraordinary records on their watches worldwide. Every Rolex watch comes with a serial number. It's hidden on the watch. But detailed records are kept for everyone who owns that watch forever and all the servicing records. The Rolex company identified the watch owner as Ronald J. Platt. The victim's next of kin were contacted. His brother positively identified Ronald Platt's body by the tattoo on his hand, a Canadian maple leaf. Ronald Platt was a 50-year-old television repairman who was divorced. He hadn't been in regular contact with his family, which is why he hadn't been reported missing. Platt had been living in Essex County, over 300 miles from Devon, where his body was discovered. On his application for his last apartment rental, he listed a man named David Davis as a reference. I phoned David Davis up on his mobile phone number, and unfortunately, I told him about the fact that we'd recovered a body from the sea, which we believed to be his friend, Ronald Platt. Davis told police that he and Ronald Platt had been friends, but that he hadn't seen Platt in over three months. 
David Davis was a 50-year-old retired financial advisor from Canada who was living in England with his 21-year-old wife, Noelle, and their two daughters. Davis and his family lived in the small village of Woodham Walter in a cul-de-sac at the end of Little London Lane. When police went to interview Davis in person, they made the mistake of knocking on the wrong door. The elderly gentleman replies, no, 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 this isn't Little London Farm. That, he says, pointing next door, that is Little London Farm. So Redmond then asks, well, is that where David Davis lives? And the elderly gentleman says, no, 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 that's not where David Davis lives. There's no David Davis there. That's where Ronald Platt lives. That's where Ronald Platt lives with his lovely wife and their two little children. I couldn't believe what he was telling me, you know. It was bizarre. The guy that I had thought was dead and had been identified as dead to me was, in fact, live and well and living in Wood and Walter. But why was David Davis now posing as Ronald Platt? There was clearly something wrong here, and we had to put David Davis under the microscope, find out who he was, why was he using this false identity, Uh, was there something more sinister involved? reasons that were not at all clear, David Davis, a Canadian citizen living in England, had been posing as Ronald Platt, the name of the man found at the bottom of the English Channel. An investigation into Davis's background revealed some troubling information. For the last three years, all of Davis's bills were paid for with checks and credit cards signed by Ronald Platt some signed after Platt's body was pulled from the sea. Davis met the real Ronald Platt through Platt's girlfriend, Elaine Boys, who worked for David Davis in a small investment company Davis ran in London. Police also discovered that David Davis owned a sailboat that was moored in Devon, only a few miles from where Ronald Platt's body was discovered. Police searched through David Davis's mobile telephone records, which showed calls made from the same area where Platt's body was found. And the calls were made during the same time period in July that the medical examiner said Ronald Platt drowned. Davis claimed he hadn't seen his friend Ronald Platt in months, but police found witnesses who saw them together in the Devon area shortly before Platt's death. He was clearly lying to us, as well as using Ronald Platt's identity, and that changed the complexion of things. Uh, so I contacted Essex and told them to change the charge that they were going to arrest him for, uh, from check fraud to murder. On Halloween morning in 1996, an armed English response team waited to arrest Davis at his home at the end of Little London Lane. A taxi unexpectedly drove down the lane in the middle of the police raid. Davis made a dash from the house to the taxi, which quickly took off to get past police. Finally, the main police car catches up, pushes the taxi cab driver over to the shoulder. A policeman with a very big gun, drawn, moves out of the car, points it directly through the window at Davis's head. 
David Davis was arrested on suspicion of the murder of Ronald Platt. In the house was Davis's 21-year-old wife, Noelle, and the couple's two little girls, three-year-old Emily and Lillian, who was just six months old. Police allowed Noelle to pack a diaper bag with items for the children. One of the officers there was a little suspicious, however, about his weight and searched the bag and inside found that she'd slipped inside the baby clothes, 4,000 pounds in cash and five gold bars. At police headquarters, Noelle's purse contained a treasure trove of incriminating evidence, documents in the name of Ronald Platt and Platt's girlfriend, Elaine Boys and the children's birth certificates, which listed Ronald Platt and Elaine Boys as the parents. She gave uh, no real explanation for that other than to say that when she uh, got pregnant, uh, she needed medical attention uh, and had actually used Elaine Boys' uh, identity cards uh, to get that medical treatment. The police are mystified by the gap in ages. In fact, it seems like about a 30-year gap. She barely looks 20. He looks to be about 50. What's going on? They decide that they're going to bear down on her in questioning, see if they can make her crack, and in fact they do, and they find out something that surprises even them. Namely, she blurts out, he's my father. Noel refused to identify the father of the children. David Davis's home on Little London Lane held a wealth of evidence. Envelopes stuffed with Swiss francs, British pounds, American dollars, keys to storage lockers, gold bars, expensive paintings, and in a mountain of documents, a tiny scrap of paper that would be a turning point in the investigation. And they found a receipt with seven items listed on it bought from a shop called Sport Nautique in Dartmouth on the water. And in those seven items, there was something that was noted. It was a 10-pound plow anchor. Police went back to question John Kopak, the fisherman who pulled Platt's body out of the sea in his nets. Didn't notice the anchor till we actually got physically got the gear on board, until we got the trawl on board. And I didn't connect the two together until the following day. The 10-pound zinc galvanized plow anchor found in the fishing nets with Ronald Platt's body may have been used to anchor Platt's body at the bottom of the English Channel and came loose when he was dragged to the surface by fishing nets. When Dr. Fernando laid the anchor next to the injuries on Platt's leg, he discovered the cause of the wounds. The bruise on the hip was caused by the low end of the anchor and the bruise on the thigh was caused by the other end of the anchor. So the anchor had been hooked to his waistband or to his belt. The anchor and Platt's belt were sent to the forensics lab for analysis. On Platt's leather belt was a translucent deposit. Police asked a forensic metallurgist to determine what made the mark. I worked with a sample from the belt in the area of the mark and a sample from the surface of the anchor. The mark on Platt's belt was analyzed with a scanning electron microscope, and the material on the belt was identified. 
Basically, the mark on the belt was predominantly zinc, as was the surface of the anchor. Still unanswered was how Ron Platt's body got six miles out into the English Channel. Dr. Bob Allen, a hydraulic engineer, analyzed the location of the body and studied the water currents during the week Platt was in the English Channel. We determined what the currents were in the area, but what we weren't able to say was whether those currents were strong enough to move the body without some further work. Dr. Allen conducted a unique experiment to simulate a drowned man anchored to the bottom of the English Channel. He attached a 10-pound anchor to his belt, expelled the air from his lungs, and sank to the bottom of an artificial channel, which recreated the cold seawater and the same currents that were present when Platt's body was dumped. The anchor held the body firm, meaning it was dumped in the same location where it was found. Davis's sailboat, the Lady Jane, was brought into the forensics lab for an inspection. Inside the cabin, a small hair sample was discovered on the seat cushion, and there was a plastic sport nautique bag from the same store where Davis purchased the anchor. Both were sent for forensic testing. To fingerprint smooth, non-porous material like the sport nautique bag, forensic experts put the bag in a sealed cabinet. Inside, super glue is heated and the fumes adhere to the finger oils on the bag, which can be visualized when the bag is dipped in a yellow fluorescent dye which adheres to finger oils. The fingerprint on the sport nautique bag was that of Ronald Platt. DNA testing of the hair found on the boat cushion revealed the hair was also that of Ronald Platt. Finally, police examined the ship's GPS. The GPS from Davis's boat indicated that he shut off the navigational device just 3.8 nautical miles from the spot where the body resurfaced. The date was July 20th. The Rolex watch found on Ronald Platt was self-winding, which means it runs for 40 hours after it stops moving. The watch stopped on July 22nd. 40 hours earlier made the date July 20th, the same date recorded by the GPS on the Lady Jane. Police knew that David Davis wasn't this man's real name. But just who was he? A man living with his daughter as husband and wife, with two small children whose paternity was unclear. And what was his motive? To murder Ronald Platt. A retired businessman David Davis was a suspect in the murder of his friend, Ronald Platt. But investigators wanted to know his true identity. When they compared Davis's fingerprints to those of wanted fugitives from around the world, the prints matched a man who had been on the run for six years. We had a hit. David Davis came back, identified uh, in Canada, as being their most wanted man. 
uh, called Albert Johnson Walker. So this was the first time that we actually know who, who this guy was. Albert J. Walker from Ontario, Canada, had been married for 22 years and had four children. He became one of the 10 most wanted criminals in the world after embezzling over $4 million from investors in Canada. He was on the verge of being caught, so he decided to flee Canada, and he took his 15-year-old daughter, Sheena, with him and disappeared completely, or almost. Walker and his daughter, Sheena, lived together in England as David and Noel Davis, man and wife. One of the Canadian police decided to phone Walker's wife, Barbara, and it was very simple, very straightforward. We found Albert and we found your daughter, Sheena. And by the way, congratulations, your grandmother. When Walker fled to England, he began working the same investment scams as he did in Canada and hired Elaine Boys as an executive assistant. When Walker no longer needed Elaine Boys' services, he paid for Elaine and her boyfriend, Ronald Platt, to move to Canada to start a new life together. With Platt gone, Walker assumed his identity. But three years later, Elaine Boys and Ronald Platt returned to England, which threatened Walker's plans. There now were two Ronald Platts, and that was one too many uh, for Albert Walker. He had to get rid of his friend. Albert Walker put his plan into motion when he purchased a new 10-pound anchor, not for his sailboat, but for Ronald Platt. On July 20th, 1996, Walker invited Platt out on the Lady Jane for a day of sailing. With a blunt instrument, Walker knocked Platt unconscious with a blow to the back of his head. Blood and hair spattered onto the plastic bag. Walker then pulled Platt to the upper deck, where he slid the anchor under Platt's belt and heaved him overboard. Among the mistakes Walker made that day, was failing to remove Platt's wristwatch with the serial number and using his boat's global positioning system which captured the location, date, and time of the murder. Albert Walker went on trial for murder. In a rare courtroom occurrence, Walker's daughter testified against her own father. It came out in the courtroom that obviously Mr. Walker and Sheena were father and daughter, and yet two children were found on the premises when the police made their raid. Well, the jury was just struck dumb. On July 6, 1998, it took the jury just two hours to find Albert Walker guilty of first-degree murder. He was sentenced to life in prison. Sheena Walker is now living quietly with her children in Canada. She would not agree to a paternity test on her two little girls. Ronald Platt, the victim, is often forgotten. The injuries on his body showing us exactly how he was killed and how the anchor was used to weigh him down. The piece of paper he wrote out for his reference where he put David Davis, the name of his killer, and his cell phone number, which led us to Davis. Everything really came... Uh, from Ronald Platt, his head hair that was found 
on the boat, his fingerprints on the plastic bag. He was showing us that he'd been in that boat and that boat had been used to murder him. It was really Ronald Platt who solved this case. And when he emerged from his watery grave, pointed his tattooed hand directly at his murderer, Albert Johnson Walker. Thank you.